We're carrying on our series looking at the, the book of James. Don't worry, we are coming into land. There's only one more to go after this one. Uh, I just have to preface today's talk with... Uh, I personally found this passage really, really difficult. I really, really... I kind of read it and I was like, oh, do I have to preach on that? Like, can't I pick a nice, warm, fuzzy, fluffy passage from another book in the Bible uh, to preach on instead? And the Lord said, no, you're working your way through James. And the reason you're working your way through James is so that we can teach the whole counsel of Scripture. We don't just get to pick our favorite bits. I'm just letting you know, I find this quite hard. James chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your word. We welcome your Holy Spirit here, and we ask that you would bring to life the Scriptures. You'd open our hearts and minds to receive the word that you have for us. That you would um, lead us into truth. That we would be transformed with ever-increasing glory into the precious image of Jesus. Amen. So... A little bit more challenge from James in his usual inimitable style. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. And a very good morning to you too, James. Um, you read this section. Uh, it's essentially there's two sections that we're going to try and tackle here this morning uh, as we, we kind of uh, wind up our series on the book of James. And, and as you're reading just that passage, there's this there's quite a stark contrast between two sections within it. You've got the kind of frantic, rage, kind of uh, righteous indignation of uh, verses 1 to 6. And then it sort of slows down, and it's almost like that second section of verses 7 through to 11, I think it is. It kind of just feels like it just 
slows down. There's a, there's a calm and there's a, there's a peace and there's a patience that sort of sits on it. Um, but this first challenge in this passage is really for those of us who find ourselves here and the way we would reflect on our lives is that actually for us, our lives appear to be going uh, swimmingly. You know, um, from the outside at least, you know, we've all have got our own personal struggles, but effectively from the outside, when you're looking on, it looks like we've got all our ducks in a row, we've you know, got a good job, we've got plenty of money. It's like, I'm all right, Jack, you know, my future's secure. And then the second challenge, if you like, uh, is really to those um, who, of us who may find ourselves this morning, uh, and we're here, we've got a little bit more difficulty in our lives. Life is actually a little bit harder. It's not as straightforward as it at first may seem. So we're going to start by looking at that first section, uh, verses 1 to 6. I'm not going to read it all again, if that's okay. But what we've got there, read it, it's up there. You've got this pretty cold, hard dose of reality to anyone with any kind of prosperity, anyone with any kind of wealth, and anyone who thought that that prosperity that they may have, however relative that is, that wealth that they may have, uh, is actually secure. Um, Because, just in case you weren't sure, according to James, and according to the entire council of the Bible, um, it isn't secure. That material wealth is not secure, and it has never been secure. Um, Do what you like with your money. uh, Go to any bank that you choose, however listening they may be. uh, Buy whatever kind of securities or investments you like. But none of it is uh, secure. And events over the last few years, events over decades, the imminent events surely underline that for us. Only a fool puts his faith in that kind of material wealth and security um, because when it comes to thinking about the future, there really is only one certainty, and that, as we see from James, is that each and every single one of us will stand before God as the righteous judge. Again, not something that really... um, sits well and comfortably for us with our cultural values, but it's here in the Bible. Uh, When we find ourselves standing before God, when that day comes, your best-performing stock portfolio um, report sheet will seem pretty irrelevant, actually. Because on that day, God's going to be looking for a very different kind of asset. He's looking at something completely different. He's looking at what Jesus has called treasure in heaven. He's looking at how we've invested in the kingdom. Now, I think it's important to say, I don't think James or anywhere else in the Bible is saying that wealth is bad. That's not what he's saying here. Don't hear me saying that. It's not that wealth is bad in any way, shape, or form. It's the, the question around it really is, um, what's the lifestyle that kind of comes with it? It, it? It's the lifestyle that is more of a question. It's, it's not whether or not the person is, is rich. It's not what we have. Um, it's what we do with what we have, or rather what it does with us or to us. That's kind of 
what matters. It's not our wealth, but it's the consequences of that wealth on our behavior, on our value systems. That's, that's what matters. That's what the scriptures, that's what Jesus is really interested in. And, um, you know, you kind of listen to this, you read this, I was reading this and preparing, I was going, yes, preach it, James. It's true. All those rich people out there. <laughs> Just in case uh, we're tempted to shift all of this onto some kind of caricature of a, of a, of a, of a city fat cat, you know, with his offshore banking accounts, you know, with those bankers, terrible, terrible people. They deserve, they deserve all that. Um, if you're anything like me, when I read the Bible, it's very easy for me to apply the Bible to someone else. I read the Bible and go, that is so true. If only so-and-so, so-and-so had read that and would apply it to their lives. Uh, it's very easy to point, it's very easy to point the finger somewhere else. And I suspect it would be nearer the truth to say that certainly compared to many in James's day, and actually compared to the vast majority of people on this planet, I think it's probably nearer the truth to say that certainly almost all of us here in this room fit this description and definition of wealthy. And again, for James, this is all about our attitude. So it's not about how much we have, but what are our attitudes towards what we have? And um, what we're going to do on the, on the subject of wealth, we're going to look at some of the unhealthy attitudes that I think James uh, particularly points out in this passage. And the, the first attitude that is challenging in this whole call to maturity, which is what James is really all about, I think, um, he's saying, Watch out when your attitude and your heart towards your wealth, however large or small that may be, um, it becomes an attitude of greed. Have a look at verse 3. He says, you've hoarded your wealth in the last days. So he's challenging us over, are we hoarding our wealth? You know, and the word hoarded is important because what he's got in mind is he's got somebody who's literally just accumulated wealth for themselves. It's like I'm just gathering this stuff to myself, unto myself. And, you know, if you look in my wardrobe, you'll find, like, racks of clothes and, like, boxes and boxes of shit. You won't, actually, right? Not in my wardrobe, as you know. How many times have I worn this shirt? <laughs> and look at the hole in my shoe. Do you want to see the hole in my shoe? Look at that. This passage, I'm, I'm in the second section, right? <laughs> it's just you, rich lot, in the first section. That's what I'm talking to you. But apparently, Imelda Marcos, take note, you know, there are places in the world where, you know, you've got walk-in wardrobes full of clothes, full of shoes. If you go to someone's safe, it's full of cash. But the clothes aren't being put to good use. The shoes can never possibly be worn because there's so many of them. How many feet have you actually got? And the cash is just sitting there just in case. And it's kind of what James is saying is greed. You know, accumulating things for no other reason apart from possession and to somehow mysteriously make us feel secure. So James is challenging that. And then James is challenging wealth and our attitude to wealth when it becomes, um, our hearts become um, focused on things like exploitation and injustice. 
Have a look at verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields, they're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now, again, there's no direct correlation between wealthy and being exploitative and being unjust. However, if profit is our primary motive, when profit and profitability are our primary motives, there is a risk that injustice and exploitation are just around the corner. You know, we're in a situation, it's like, well, um, if, only, if, I pay them, if I pay the workers late, or I got my invoice, but I'm not going to pay it for another three or four months. I'll just pay it when I'm ready, just in case I leave myself a little bit short. Or... Um, We'll give some of the guys, we'll give a little bit now and then I'll just withhold the rest and I'll give the rest of it later. You know, then I've got a little bit more in the pot, a little bit more security. It's probably a good thing for everybody. And suddenly, from being good Christian employers or in terms of whoever it is we're employing, whether we run our own business and employ people or we're just talking about paying the decorator or the builder or whoever it may be, We've gone from being good Christian employers um, to, to sort of not good Christian exploiters. And James is saying, pay attention to that. That's not, it's, not, it's not good. It's not on. And then in verse 5, he says, um, we need to watch for sort of indulgence, self-indulgence. You having fun? It's just... <laughs> God, I love it. Um, verse 5, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You found yourselves in the day of slaughter. And the Bible's kind of like saying, you know, look, actually, um, God has put us on this earth in order to work, and in order to, to till the earth, to keep it, to steward it, to, 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 to flourish, for its flourishing. The trouble is, is that an affluent society, certainly one that, that celebrates celebrity, the way that our culture does, is encouraging the very opposite. It's encouraging and rewarding, um, like, nothingness. It's not even laziness or idleness. It's just vapor. I, I'm now of an age and a stage whereby I'm bombarded with celebrity programs. There's celebrity bake-off. There's celebrity island. There's celebrity love island. There are all kinds of celebrity things, Right? The trouble is, is when I catch those things or watch myself, find myself glued to them avidly, I have no idea who any of these celebrities are. I'm like, who's that? I have to get my children in and go, who the hell's that? And they're going, oh, I don't know. It's like, what have they done? Well, I don't know. It's like, they've done anything? I don't think so. Got an Instagram account. Wow. That's impressive. And James is saying, like, this culture, this, 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 this self-indulgence, this luxury, just creates um, like an idleness. You know, if we're going to enjoy our rest on Sabbath, it, it means, therefore, that we must have obeyed the rest of the commandment that comes up in, in Exodus 20, verse 9, which says, six days you shall labor and do your work. That has to kind of happen so that then we can rest. <laughs> anyway, um, if life is so easy that we, we're not having to labor for like six days because we're so sorted, chances are that we've got too much and self-indulgence will be at our door before we know it. And I know some of you are saying, chances are, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. 
Let me, let me find out what that's like. Okay, so greed, exploitation, injustice, indulgence. Are you happy so far? Um, okay, then there are some really practical tips for those of us who may find ourselves in a situation whereby we're wealthy. Again, not by our own standards, but just by a global measure. And sometimes we need to kind of redress how we are assessing whether we consider ourselves to be wealthy. And they, these things are just to help us avoid, to help us not fall into the traps that he's talking about. And the first thing is in verses 2 and 3, and it's remember that your wealth, whatever it is, is perishable. Yeah, he's just reminding us of that. He's saying, your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. And it's ironic because the whole point of gold and silver is that it doesn't rust. At least it's not supposed to, kind of as far as I'm aware, on the earth. However, Jesus is saying that in heaven, the air is a little bit different. The atmosphere in heaven is a little bit different. And those things, they just evaporate in heaven. They just ping gone. Zero exchange rate. You can't take any of it with you. Second thing is um, verses 4 and 7 and 8 and 9. Remember that we are going to have to give an account of how we've handled ourselves. Uh, verse 4, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Verse 7, pay attention be patient until the Lord's coming. Verse 8, because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. We're going to have to give an account. Not only what we've done with our cash, but what our heart attitude towards it all has been. Okay, so there's some things for us to mull and pray through if we're feeling brave. We want to take, you know, Psalm 51, search me, O God, and know my, my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe something for us to do this week is just to invite the Holy Spirit to search us on our whole approach and our attitude towards wealth and money and possessions and Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and see if there is any offensive way in us. Let's surrender ourselves to him and say, look, you know, lead me in the way everlasting. So, after challenging people who find themselves with much, I think James goes on to challenge people who find themselves with little. Uh, and that might be because of financial hardship, but the application of the challenge of their situation in life, their predicament, is much, could be much wider. Uh, verses 7 through to 11. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What's the counsel that James is offering to those who are suffering? Kate kind of alluded to it this morning and just in the prayer after worship. So you're just going through difficult times at work or at home or 
What's James's counsel to those of us who find ourselves in a difficult situation? Verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient. Thanks a lot. What James is describing here is, is a Christian approach to suffering, to um, how we respond personally in our own situation to um, a poverty that we may find ourselves in or an injustice that we might be experiencing or an exploitation that we might be going through. And one of the reasons that it's the Christian way is because it's Christ's way. And he's the one to whom we look. He's the one whose life we are spending our lives on being like. It's counsel that comes to us from a living, reigning Jesus, who is himself the model of an innocent man who was condemned and murdered, didn't react, didn't resist. He is our model of this patient man, it says in Hebrews, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we look at this and we think about that, and we think about the situations in which we find ourselves. It's like, seriously? Like, your best counsel to me in the midst of all of my suffering is patient, be patient. This is costly. This is difficult. This is unimaginably so. And um, for any of you who know me at all, you will know that the words kneel and patient do not go together in any way, shape, or form. So I really, really struggle with this massively. But I think this is to be the response of those of us who find ourselves suffering. Um, I just want to say, it is not to be the response of those of us who see others suffering. Am I clear on that? I think this is to be part of the response that we have to our own predicaments, but I do not think it is to be the response that when we see others Suffering. It's one thing to, for the victim of injustice to choose the way of the cross, to choose the path of patience, but there's another response altogether for those of us who witness injustice and those of us who see exploitation. And James gives us a couple of examples of what I think uh, this looks like. How do we do this patience thing? And he does it from, um, he, he cites from the prophets and he, he cites from Job. So, brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of the suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And these two examples, I think, are really, really important in terms of helping equip us and so we understand what patience in adversity, in adversity actually looks like. And the prophets are important because the prophets make it clear that the kind of patience that James is advocating is not the same as accepting the status quo. That's why the, that's why the model is important. That's why it's important that we understand and know our scriptures, because when he refers to the prophets, we need to go, who? Like, we need to know who he's talking about and what 
their story was. You look at Amos or Elijah or any of the minor prophets, any of the major prophets, any of the prophets, they thundered against the evils and the injustices of their day. Thundered. They made themselves properly unpopular in the main part. They were persecuted for it because they were not content to just sit passively by and say, praise the Lord. They actively stood up. They spoke for righteousness in their society. And I think we're meant to do the same. You know, to be non-violent is not at all the same thing as being non-vocal. We have to be careful that we don't somehow um, settle thinking that we're being Christ-like when actually all we're being is passive. And then we've got another important example um, from Job, because again, the sort of patience that James is talking about is not some weird kind of stoic indifference. You know, Job, Job didn't harden his heart, um, he didn't harden himself against his suffering. He didn't, he didn't try to deny his emotions. Uh, he was in agony and he talked about it. He made that clear. You know, suffering was a, a problem for him and he wrestled with it. He, he grappled with it. He, he was trying to fathom it out and he refused to kind of retire to some inner kind of sort of apathy. Um, he cared about, I think he cared about what he was enduring. He, he persevered. He was steadfast. Of course he had his moments. But generally speaking, that's what he did. He pushed in. Perseverance. And this, this, the, the Greek word here it has this idea of struggling on through difficulties because we see beyond the difficulty. We see beyond the immediate circumstance and the immediate situation. And we see beyond to some Goal. We see that there is something to be gained the other side of this overwhelming hurdle and obstacle that seems to be set against us. It's not an indifference to the problem, but because we see a purpose, because we can see beyond, because we can see the king and the kingdom beyond our present sufferings, they become slightly more light and momentary. That's what James is pointing out. You've seen the purpose that God achieved. You know what God finally brought about in the story of Job. God is up to something. He's constantly redeeming. He's constantly restoring. He's constantly correcting all of the plans and the attempts of the enemy to kill, rob, steal, and destroy. God is doing something. And eventually Job gets there. He discovers in a whole new way that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Of course, it's natural to ask of God, why is this going on? Why? Why do you allow such evil? Like, why? Why do you seem to allow this economic injustice to go on? Why uh, do you allow um, people to be poor? Why do you allow me to be poor? Uh, when there are so many wealthy people in the world, there are so many people well, more wealthy and have everything. Their lives are so much easier than mine. And these are, these are really perfectly normal and natural questions. And they're the questions that we should be asking. You know, can't you hear the cry of the harvesters? James might have asked. God really doesn't mind, I don't believe, us asking why 
questions. He doesn't expect us to be indifferent um, to our sufferings any more than Job was or even Jesus was. On the cross, Jesus himself says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's struggling. Please, please, please let this cup be taken from me. What God does expect, I believe, is that we will persevere. Together as a fellowship of believers, we'll spur one another on to love and good deeds. We'll stand alongside one another in our successes as we laugh and celebrate together in our defeats where we weep and cry together. Because um, we'll persevere. We just keep pushing on because we believe that there's an answer to our question, why, even if we don't know what it is. I think the Lord expects us to persevere. He encourages to perse- encourages to persevere. He equips us to persevere. He fills us with the Holy Spirit to enable us to persevere uh, because that we know that there is a goal. And that goal is in um, harmony with God's perfect character of love and compassion. Because of that, we suffer patiently in the way that James is describing patience. Okay, so... Patience doesn't mean accepting the status quo. No, we're to, stand, we're to stand up and we are to declare the moral demands of God. We are to do that. Uh, nor does patience mean that we're to pretend that we're not in pain, that we're not suffering. You know, that we're, we're like, it's all fine. When it's not. We're to wrestle with the comprehension of the doubt and the pain that inevitably goes with just being in a world where there is so much conflict and suffering and pain. But such suffering patience is the Christian response because it leads to contentment, and contentment is the Christian attitude. Okay, so you'll be glad when I take another three months break. See? Um, a challenge to those of us who are wealthy what, what is our attitude to our wealth? However small we may think it is, it's actually probably fairly vast. What is our attitude towards that wealth? How, how are we remembering that it's not what we have, but what we do with what we have that matters? Um, what are we doing with what we have? How are we protecting ourselves against um, greed and injustice and exploitation and indulgence? Um, how are we allowing the scriptures? How are we allowing the word of God to challenge us and to change us, to, to, to transform both our attitudes, you know, that's our hearts, to the way we think and the way we feel about stuff. How is, how is our heart, how are our hearts, how are our, our thoughts, how are our feelings being transformed by soaking ourselves in the scriptures and then how are the scriptures informing our behavior like our actions our deeds the things that we're actually doing are we doing anything different as a result of the scriptures that we've been reading and then lastly a challenge to those of us in a more challenge in more difficult circumstances how are we learning and um, engaging with patience how are we learning about and engaging with patience 
when we're suffering ourselves, are we choosing the way of the cross? Are we choosing to follow the example of Job? Are we choosing to follow Jesus as our model and as our inspiration? Um, when we see others suffering, uh, are we calling out like the prophets, like Elijah, like Amos? Are we calling for an end to this injustice that so offends the heart of God, no matter what it costs us personally and reputationally? Coming to the end of James, I'll, 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 I'll definitely pick a fuzzier, warmer, fuzzier book next time. Um, answers on a postcard. Can we do a revelation? <laughs> um, so we're coming to the end. But can I encourage you just this week to just take some time just to sit in the presence of God? Invite him to come. Let him speak to you through the scriptures about what he wants your response to be. Okay? Invite the Holy Spirit to come and just blow away everything that I've said that's rubbish. And let the truths of the Scriptures and the counsel of God just take root in our hearts and bear fruit. Can I encourage you to just sit in the words of Psalm 51? Search me, O God. Know me. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Yeah? And let's see what he does with us in this absolutely thrilling subject. Why don't you stand and we'll pray for one another.